My name is Josh Peck, host of Peck Report on Daily Renegade. I used to suffer with chronic pain from a degenerative bone disease. I was hopelessly addicted to opioids without any end in sight. But then I discovered Kratom and CBD. I am no longer on prescription drugs and I have more energy and pain relief than ever before. Kratom and CBD have given me my life back without draining my bank account. If you too would like some minor to major pain relief, Kratom and CBD might be for you. Either click on the links in the description below this video or go to dailyrenegade.com on the top left banner or right side ad and check out Tropic Health Kratom and CBD. Use promo code HEALTH20 for 20% off your order and get your life back today. Hello everybody and welcome back to another edition of the Christian Contrarian. I'm Gary Wayne, author of the Genesis 6 Conspiracy, and this is episode 23, The Two Tribulations of the Last Seven Years. And so we're going to talk today about chronology of the end time, which we started about laying the platform for in the last episode about the birth pangs. And today we're going to continue with placing all prophecy around what Jesus said, not vice versa. And although we can't include all of the relative passages, that's the concept that you have to put all of the relative passages together and around and guided by the chronology and definitions and format that Jesus provided for us in Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21 and 17. And I like to use Matthew 24 as a platform and then add on the additional information from Mark and Luke. So that's what we're going to do today. And it you know it always mystifies me when I think about and listen to people talk and see many, many comments around Facebook that people seem to think in a lot of cases that there isn't a last seven years. And that's very, very odd. So we're going to cover that off as part of this because you have to have that as a platform, in my opinion, to set aside along with what Jesus said and then understand how the chronology works with a middle point, which is very, very important when we're talking about two tribulations, the first tribulation and the great tribulation. And we're going to talk about the first tribulation and the seven years of uh, the 70 weeks of years in, in the book of Daniel in, in this particular episode. And it always mystifies me as well why people say that Christians aren't going to be suffering, suffering any of the persecution uh, of the last years. And that, again, always puzzles me because if you're putting all the scripture together, you're going to find scripture that jumps out that just doesn't seem to fit. And when that happens, you have to reassemble. Everything has to fit without conflict. So we're going to address some of that today as well. But we're going to lay down a chronology for the first three and a half years, including revelations that you can lay inside of what Jesus said and all other prophecy. And that's really, really the key when you're trying to understand prophecy. And that includes Old Testament prophecies. Everything goes around with what Jesus said, not vice versa. Get that in order, things start to make sense. So let's talk about the last seven years. 
And a lot of people think that that full 70 weeks were, was completed within a few years after the destruction of the temple in, in 70 CE and, and inclusive of that. And from the time that was left of that one week that was booked uh, of the 69 that were used that you know included the time in the crucifixion of our Messiah, our Redeemer, Jesus. I understand that argument, but it doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. But I do, I do understand the argument from the basis that at times the English translation doesn't give us a clear translation, and that's unfortunate. And that's one of the reasons why I like to understand things from using different Bibles and get a triangulation as to where things are at from how other translators using uh, some additional sources that the King James Version people didn't have, how that triangulates. And then I like to take the King James Version back to Greek for the New Testament that it was translated from and then back to the Masoretic text that it was translated out of Hebrew for the Old Testament. So. When we look at Daniel 9.26, where it's talking about the seven-year covenant that Antichrist negotiates, you get in the middle of that, this abomination. And that happens in the middle. So again, to make that sort of fit that it's already been completed, you have to accept that the abomination has already come, but Jesus somehow hasn't, or, or somehow Jesus has. Neither seems to be in line with scripture in terms of how I understand it. So let's have a little bit closer look at that wording in Daniel 96, Daniel 9.26 as it goes into Daniel 9.27 and it says, the end of the war desolations are determined. That's not a very, I guess, uh, convenient and understandable set of words for contemporary English. But we need to understand those words because within the meaning of those words and how they come out of Hebrew tells us what we need to know about the last seven years. And so the word end, so the end of desolations, end is the Hebrew word ketz, and that means at the end, at the extremity or at the end. The end of time and the end time. And so this is the seven years that begins with the end of war desolations. So for all of the, the wars and destruction that's going to follow after Messiah, which includes 70 CE and the destruction of Jerusalem, the seven years are reserved for the end of time. And I think that's quite clear with the word cats, but it's not finished there. And you, again, you have to get support from everywhere, not only from selecting the meaning and it's the correct meaning within the narrative and it doesn't conflict. So when we move on to the next word desolations, that means destruction, ruin, and horrors, which adequately describes what happens both in the first three and a half years and in the second three and a half years. Understanding that the midpoint is the three and a half year point, which three and a half years remaining as Daniel 12 talks about. So in complete support of Daniel uh, 9.27, that in the middle of the seven. So there's three and a half years before, three and a half years after, and we're gonna come back to that. And the next word is determined, which is decreed, decided. It also can mean cut and mutilate, but 
it's been ordained a set of seven years in the end time to complete the destruction and the desolations and the ruins and the horrors of the end time. That's the last seven years. And we need to slide that into how Jesus set up the chronology in Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 17, Luke 21. It's, it's very, very important that we understand about it, just as Jesus will refer back to the abomination as the days of Daniel talked about, so that we have a complete reference. And you can't look at Daniel 9, 27 without looking at Daniel 11 and Daniel 12 and then rolling that into revelations with the timetable and particularly around what Jesus said. So I think I've made a, a fairly good case for you, at least for an opening volley, that the last seven years are at the end of time and it's reserved and it's yet to come come into play. And that's going to be at around the time of the opening of the seals, which I'll sort of loop back in for you a little bit as far as timing goes as, as we go through this presentation. So let's move on to tribulation. And most people who are anti-two tribulations and say that only there's only tribulation in the last three and a half years will point to that, you know, like Matthew doesn't talk about tribulation uh, specifically in those first three and a half years and again what we need to do is, is we need to take a step back we need to start laying in all of the verses and you're going to see some surprising things particularly again when we take this back to Greek and uncover some of the fuzzy translations that the translators did and so the first thing I want you to understand is that tribulation is used 65 times in the New Testament. And it derives from the Greek word from number 2347, Thalippis, T-H-L-I-P-I-S, And it means anguish, burden, persecution. Anguish, burden, persecution, all words that we need to keep in mind. And in terms of not only for tribulation as to what it means, it's also used 17 times for those words that I just mentioned for a total of 82 times because the 17 times where Philippius is used to be as the root word uh, for the English translation of anguish, burden, and persecution, that's going to add up to 17 times. So 82 times you get this Philippi's word that refers to the tribulation of the end time. So it's used a lot. So we're going to loop, we're going to loop that in. But I wanted to take another step back before I move forward and just to talk about this idea that we're not required to suffer tribulation. Well, that goes against what we're told over and over and over in the New Testament. Um, and I think we need to take what it describes about what was being talked about in the time of the disciples as a understanding for our expectations. So in John 16:33 it says, we will have tribulation. And it's talking not only about that time but for Christians forward. We will have tribulation, but we're not to worry because Jesus has overcome the world and he will save us. We will be redeemed. But we may have to go through some tribulation. And in Acts 14.22, it says we must go through tribu tribulation to enter heaven. So even if we're not in the last seven years in the tribulation periods, 
we should expect to go through tribulation. And as we talked about, I mean, this means a time of trouble. It means anguish. It means burden. It means persecution. And a couple specific times for tribulation, as we'll get to. And in Romans 8, 35 through 39, it talks about persecution, tribulation, famine, sword, and death, which is the same kinds of disasters and catastrophes that are talked about in the seal judgments as the horses come out, the four different horses, one for conquering, one for war, and that brings famine, pestilence, and there's earthquakes and there's stars falling. So you have basically the same catastrophes happening over and over and over. And, and most of these are talked about in Romans about tribulation. And that's what the tribulation is. And this is what happens as Matthew talks about two different tribulations. So again, one is worse than the other, which is why the second half is the Great Tribulation, as Revelations 2.22 talks about. And when we understand that the birth pangs happen over and over and over and over, that they get progressively worse, then we'll be able to understand uh, the destruction of the seals at 25% of the world and people, 33% on the trumpets. Um, and 100% on the raft bowls, except that Jesus would step in before. And so uh, we start to get an understanding that these are separate judgments and they happen in, two, in different sections of that last seven years. So the next concept as we start to roll this forward on, before we get into how Matthew rolls out uh, with Jesus' words, the chronology for the end time, understand that we're told, and again, this is about not leaving out inconvenient passages and including all passages so that things make sense. We're told about not having to suffer the wrath of the end time in 1 Thessalonians 1, 10, 5 and 5, 9. So we're not to suffer the great tribulation just as Revelation 3 talks about in verses 3 and 10. And Jesus is going to save us from that hour of temptation where you have to make a choice to swear loyalty to Antichrist and take the mark or not. A time of adversity. That's the time that Jesus is talking about saving us as recorded in Revelation 3. But it doesn't say that we're not going to suffer tribulation because the preface for what's going to happen in prophecy has already been instructed to Christians that we need to expect to suffer tribulation. It's part of being Christian. All will go through tribulation, but do not wish for the tribulation of the last seven years because that is unlike anything that has been seen before with the latter half being greater than the first half. And so we'll be saved from the wrath, which are the wrath bowls, of the last three and a half years. And so the seals and the trumpets are going to happen in the first half. And again, as we start to understand and fit in all the different verses of prophecy in the last seven years, it starts to make more sense. And now, if we take those concepts, we can line that up with what Jesus said, and things will really start to come together for you, I think. So in the first tribulation, it starts after 
the birth pangs. The birth pangs are part of the early part of the fig tree generation, again, as we talked about in episode 22. And then at some point as we close in on the end of this age, the end of time, as Daniel 9, 26 talks about, Jesus is very clear as he begins after the beginning of sorrows in Matthew 24, 9, that we're, we are going to suffer. We are going to receive afflictions and we are going to be killed. And he's talking to future Christians to prepare for this. And Mark 13, 9 talks about that we're going to be beaten and we're going to be taken before councils and Sanhedrins. And Luke talks about not to worry about this because we're going to have wisdom provided for us to speak for a testimony for Jesus that we're going to be killed and persecuted for, but not to worry about what we'll say because the spirit of wisdom will, will come uh, upon us and understand that this isn't Jesus that's going to provide it. It's going to be the spirit of the wisdom, just as wisdom is provided by the Holy Spirit and other gifts, as is talked about again throughout uh, many passages, including in Corinthians, about the gifts that the, the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit will provide us this wisdom for the testimony. But it's that word affliction that we're going to go through. And the translators decided to use afflictions as opposed to tribulation. And affliction goes back to the word Philippians again. That tribulation translates from. And so I think in Matthew's account, using the original Greek word, in the time of this persecution, when Christians will be preparing Christians, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in a few minutes, in the time of Babylon, this is the time of the first persecution of Revelation 7, when you see the saints that the first fruits of Revelation 6 were asked, to be patient and wait for, for those who are going to come out of the tribulation, who are going to be martyred like they were. And that makes sense when you understand what Corinthians talks about, the order of the resurrections, when you have it cited out very, very clearly. First, Jesus is resurrected, then the first fruits. And that's going to include those in Revelation 6 who are martyred and the elders that were uh, around the throne. And then the rest of the first fruits that come out of the first three and a half years. And most of those are included in Revelation 7. And so we will suffer tribulation. But many might say, well, the translators obviously thought different because they didn't use the word tribulation. Maybe that's so, or maybe they just weren't connecting all of the dots. But when you get into later on in Matthew, where it talks about, you know, the days of this tri tribulation, and then there's another tribulation yet to come uh, in, in that's talked about in Matthew 24, 29, and they're referring to what was before and what is coming now, which is worse than what was the first tribulation that we're talking about in the first three and a half years, where Matthew uses tribulation, 
Mark 13 in the same account uses affliction. So you get a, a supporting of the meaning and the words and the fuzziness of the translation between the two identical accounts that's starting to look forward to the last three and a half years. And then in 1 Thessalonians 3, verses 3, 4, 3 through 4, you actually get affliction and tribulation talking about the same subject in, in sentences right following each other. First affliction and then tribulation or vice versa, but they're within the two sentences there. And it's in the same narrative talking about the same happening. And so again, that goes, both of those words go back to Philippians. So again, there's... As you look through the meanings and the applications of tribulation, you have the tribulation that is specifically for the end time in the last seven years, two tribulations, and then you have tribulation of Christians throughout the period, just as the prophets went through uh, a time of tribulation as well. So just wanted to make that clear that although the translations don't always make it easier. If we have the ability to link it back to the original Greek and Hebrew, we get a better understanding and we get a fuller meaning. And that's why I've looped that into to my approach. So now when we look at, as we move past that into Matthew 24:10, this is a time of when people are going to be offended, which again is a very fuzzy word in contemporary English. And that goes back to the Greek word scandalizo, you know, where scandalous is going to essentially derive from in, in our modern English. But as it's defined as defended and scandalizo in Greek out of Strong's, it means seduced, entrapped, and a falling away. This is a time when Babylon has complete control. Babylon will rise just before the start of the last seven years, will bring about the new world order and the 10 kings, which will then permit Antichrist to take power at the midpoint of the last seven years. And this is the time where the false prophets are out at, that Jesus talks about, both just before and just after, because you're going to need the false prophets coming out of the birth pangs to make these predictions to force people out of fear to convert to the Babylon religion. And so this is the time of Babylon. Babylon's reign for three and a half years and maybe a short period before. And a time of falling away. A time of being offended when Christians will betray Christians, where Christianity, Christianity will be reduced to ashes and refolded in under the Babylon religion and only the stubborn, loyal Christians who are strong in scripture and understand the times and are not being deceived will be standing against Babylon, which causes this persecution and the saints being slaughtered that Jesus is talking about that show up in Revelation 7, the martyrs that the first fruits were asked to wait for. And this lines up now, if you overlay 2 Thessalonians 2 verses 1 through 7, it starts to make a whole lot of sense. Just as when I talked about the Holy Spirit is going to give us the spirit of wisdom to talk to the rulers during this time of persecution, the Holy Spirit is still there. So whether or not the restrainer of verse 7 is Michael or the Holy Spirit matters not. Both are still there. And I'll come back to Michael 
uh, in the second show and just touch on them at the end of this show. But understand, in if we overlay 2 Thessalonians onto what Jesus said, it fits perfectly because they're talking the same chronology. And in the time of gathering in verse 1, which is the rapture, you have a warning that the gathering that Jesus does to gather all of his people, all of his Christians, will not happen until the falling away, which is apostasia or apostasy in English, and a rebellion. And the rebellion and the apostasy and the falling away, the offending, is the rise of Babylon and the mass movement of Christians away from the church. And that's also going to include the Judaic people of the southern kingdom who are visible around the world and who live in the land of the covenant today will also be part of signing on to this covenant and being part of being fooled by Babylon and who are going to be permitted to do the... Uh, sacrifice on a wing or an extremity of the temple and that's the Judaic people so that was all happening in the first three and a half years until the time of Antichrist which is at the midpoint that Daniel talks about in Revelation 13 talks about for his rise and his reign will be for three and a half years after he rises so again once we start to get things in order things start to make some sense so as we move forward into Matthew 24, 13, he, he talks about not to worry, though, that even though you may be persecuted or killed, if you endure to the end, you will be saved. So the end is if you're going to be killed, you're going to be raised as part of the first fruits at the end of the first three and a half years. And if you survive through to the end of, the, of that period of time, you're going to be raptured. Okay, and then for the ones who re, uh, convert over to Christianity or a week before and take the mark, they have their own resurrection if they don't take the mark of the beast at starting at the end of Armageddon and into the millennium in Revelation 20. So we need to get that order of resurrection straight with what's going on here because it is 1 Corinthians 15:24. Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who are still asleep, all the other people who died but weren't martyred, and those who are still alive will be raptured. But Jesus has not come yet. And we're, Christians are still going through persecution. And so when you move on to verse 14, it talks about before Jesus comes, the gospel must be preached to the end of the world. And I know a lot of people think that's the age of the church. That's not prophecy. What's prophecy that we get on that is we have the 144,000 who are going to show up and are actually called first fruits in Revelation 14. And understanding Revelation 14 is the end of the first three and a half years in the chronology. And you'll have also in Revelation 11 two witnesses. And there, in Revelation 11, their commission is to prophesy against the world and they're going to hate them and celebrate when they're died after three and a half years of that commission after Antichrist is in power and after Abaddon Apollyon comes up out of the abyss because it's the one who comes up out of the abyss who actually kills these two. And he's going to work together with Antichrist. 
And this starts to make sense when we understand that the gospel will only be, repeat, be preached so that nobody in the world will have an excuse in the great tribulation that will happen after the abomination. But Jesus yet has not described the abomination. And we're on verse 14, and the abomination begins in Matthew 24, 15 through Matthew 20. But what we do know is that these people are going to be slaughtered by Babylon in that first three and a half years, just as we, she is shown as being drunk with the blood of the saints in Revelation 17, 6 and 18, 24. And Antichrist will destroy Babylon just after the midpoint of the last seven years in Daniel 17, 16. So again, all the chronology is lining up. And that doesn't happen until after the abomination, which happens in Revelation 15 to 20. And it's the time spoken of by Jesus of the time of Daniel that we need to re refer to. It's a time when Judea will flee to the mountains and to the wilderness, which happens in Revelation 12, which is the time that Michael stands and fights against the angels. With And, and the fleeing Judeans are protected for three and a half years in Revelation 12. And this is the time of Daniel 12 when Michael rises and fights for his people. So all the timing lines up. That there's three and a half years from Daniel 12 to the time of the sacrifice being taken away. So it was going for three and a half years, the first three and a half years of that last seven years of Daniel 9.27. And then it's taken away. And then it will be another three and a half years until the end has come. And I'm going to talk in detail what happens uh, in the next three and a half years in the next show uh, after this one. So stay tuned for that when we get there. But understand that um, the sacrifice is taken away at the midpoint for the timing. And this is when people see the abomination and they flee. And this is a sign for so many people around the world. There's three and a half years remaining. And so... To wrap in some of the other events that are taking place in and around what Jesus is laying out, that then suggests that Revelation 9, the opening of the abyss, where a bad Napoleon comes out that we just talked about, all of Revelation 9 and that 200 million man war is going to take place before the midpoint of the last seven years. And that 200 million man war will be the counterfeit war Antichrist will use to demonstrate his false credentials as the Messiah. So he will have his Armageddon, and with that kind of 200 million man army, everybody will think it is the Armageddon war, but that's yet to come in, in Revelation 19. So Revelation 15 through 19 is the last three and a half years. And that is the war in Revelation 9, which is Joel 1 and 2. Joel 3 and 4 is the Armageddon War. This is the Ezekiel War, 38 and 39, in the latter days and when Second Exodus takes place and the time of the dry bones in Ezekiel 37. Again, I will link that in to this tribulation time of trouble in the next show. And 
so that everybody understands how this chronology fits. We get the rising of Antichrist and the description of that and how he rises to power and is crowned at the midpoint in Revelation 13. So we get how he comes up to power and then we're told that he's going to reign for three and a half years. And that crowning at the abomination is that three and a half year point. And then at Revelation 14, right at the end, you're going to get a summary in Revelation 14 also includes the end of the commission of the 144,000. You get a summary of what happens in the last three and a half years, including the mark of the beast, including the harvest, including Armageddon, and the details follow. So you get the markers in Revelation 14 and a summary to the end and what follows between 15 and 19 is the next three and a half years. And this happens after the abomination that Jesus describes by Matthew 20. So in the next show, we're going to talk about the rest of what Jesus had to say that takes place after the abomination in the tribulation. That is the great tribulation where there has been nothing seen like it for tribulation since the beginning of the world. So. If that was a lot of information, don't worry. I do have a document on this, as I will have for the next chapter. So get a hold of me through my website, the Genesis6Conspiracy.com. That's Genesis6, with the number 6Conspiracy.com. And uh, hoping that you liked what I had to say, and it starts to bring things into a little bit more clarity. And I'll be back to finish that off. So you've got all the ammunition that you need to talk to people who are ignoring inconvenient passages and trying to dismiss what Jesus said, you'll be able to sit down and say, okay, but you got to make it fit. And by the way, here's how Jesus said. So let's not apologize for Jesus. Let's take his guidance and place all prophecy around what he said, but let's also include all the prophecy. Thank you. Until next time. Welcome back to another edition of The Christian Contrarian. I'm Gary Wayne, author of The Genesis 6 Conspiracy. And this is episode 23, The Two Tribulations, part two. 
And this episode is called The Great Tribulation of the Last Three and a Half Years. And in part one of this two-part series, we talked about that we will all, according to Scripture, and I'm going to refer quickly to a few verses on this just as a reminder in John 16, in Acts 14, and Romans 8, 35 through 39, that we will all suffer tribulation. And that there is more than one tribulation that's involved in the last seven years. And we also covered off that Daniel 9.27 is encapsulating the last seven years into two halves, just as Jesus does with his chronology, and that we're going to set all scripture around what Jesus said, not vice versa, and let all of the events fall into place quite nicely if we let it, and if we're not trying to supersede what the Word of God and the Spirit of Prophecy has set down for us. And so when we look at making sure that we're putting the verses together with what Jesus said as our format, we'll find that there aren't any contradictions and that everything sort of falls into place. And so when we look at 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, and 10, we see that we are promised not to suffer the wrath. And that's very, very important in understanding the chronology of what Jesus said and the timing of the rapture and the timing of the second exodus that we're going to also cover off today in terms of the days of Jesus coming as Luke describes it. And of course he says days as opposed to one day. So there's several comings of Jesus which we need to factor in. And we are not to suffer the wrath bowls that come in the last three and a half years that begins in Revelation 15. And so in Part one, we cover it up essentially up to Revelation 14, which is the three and a half years uh, of, the of the last seven. And you get a summary at the end of Revelation 14, of the details that follow in Revelation 15 through 19 for the last three and a half years. So just bringing everybody quickly up to date and that we also covered in part one that in Matthew 24, 9, when it talks about affliction, that word goes back to Philippians, which is the same word used to derive tribulation and or trouble and or at times of adversity as what is used later in Matthew and also interchangeable in Mark. And we all cover that off all in Mark 13 or in, in part. We covered that off in part one and that the, the words are interchangeable. And so when people talk about there isn't tribulation in Matthew until the last half of his prophecy, we have affliction which goes back to Philippians, which is the word used for tribulation. And so we see that tribulation that developed and we cover that off in detail in part one. And we also covered off in part one that when you line up Second Thessalonians, as with all prophecy, things start to make sense. So in 2 Thessalonians 2.1, we understand that there's going to be a gathering, but before the gathering is the apostasy and the rebellion, which is the Babylon reign that takes part in the first three and a half years. And then at the middle of the seven is Daniel and Jesus, and what 2 Thessalonians talks about is the abomination which splits the seven years into the second half, and this is the time of the wrath bowls, and this is the topics that we're going to cover for the great tribulation or the second tribulation of the last three and a half years.
And so when we look at uh, what happens in the last three and a half years, I just want to go now go back to Revelation 3.10 because this has some very important words for us to understand in terms of sort of triangulating the time just as we've done the split of the two halves of the last seven years of the end times we covered off in part one. So in Revelation 3.10, there's a very interesting prophecy uh, that's part of the larger prophecy, but what it talks about is keeping us from the hour of testing. And there's some three key, there's three key words uh, in there that we need to focus on. So the first one is keep. And that is the Greek word tareho or tareho, and it means to guard or preserve us from the hour of testing. The second word that we need to understand is the word testing. And testing is the Greek word pirasmos, pirasmos as some people might say, and that's the time of trial. It's a time of adver adversity and it's a time of temptation. And so this is another time of tribulation separate than what is being talked about in part one in the first three and a half years that we covered off, but uh, it is another time of testing and the key word and in terms of relating prophecy and seeing how it works in consistency, particularly for chronology, is the word hour. And it's going to keep us from the hour of testing, which is, um, you know, a, an hour or a day or a time uh, or a season. And so you have to say, when you're looking at translating, you have to apply the right meaning to the proper narrative and then look for other passages that's going to support it in terms of the timing and the chronology that's going on. So an hour or a day or a season, well we find in Revelation 17, which is covering the details that's covered off in that summary at the end of Revelation 14 of the last three and a half years, you have the 10 kings that are going to conspire with Antichrist and provide them their power so that they can reign with him and overthrow Babylon, which was the organization, religion, and system that set up the New World Order, set up the 10 kings who grow jealous of Babylon and that was negotiated, the treaty for the seven years, the, the end time world government where Babylon is controlling that end time empire. Antichrist is the one who confirms that in 927 that starts that last seven years. And so when we look at the 10 kings, they're gonna hand their power over to Antichrist to destroy Babylon, which comes along in verse 16. And that's the same story that is being told about Jeremiah 51 and matches up very, very well if you want to have a secondary description of the fall of Babylon. It's also the same word that is used in Revelation 18 when Babylon is destroyed in a nuclear kind of destruction. I'm not saying it's nuclear weapons. It could be something more significant or it could be something coming from the sky like asteroids, whatever the destruction is, it comes in one hour. And so that hour that the 10 kings hand over the power to the beast and the hour of the destruction of Babylon 
is also the hour that Christians are going to be saved from the testing. So this is a second half event a set of prophecies that we need to get the chronology right. And this is the wrath bowls that will begin in Revelation uh, 15 that will lead you into the final parts of the last three and a half years and up to Armageddon. And so we are going to be saved from the wrath, which is the wrath bowls, and it's going to happen at the time or just shortly after of the uh, destruction of Babylon. So we've got a lot of things that are going on in the middle part of the last seven that we want to keep straight. But understand that the destruction of Babylon will happen just after abomination, after Antichrist comes to power, and with, uh, with the ten kings handing that power over to, to him, and then they're going to set up another religion that everybody is going to worship Antichrist as the Son of God or as God, and also worshiping Satan um, for the last three and a half years as well. So having understood all of that, now let's move on to the details that Jesus is going to provide us that follows after Matthew uh, 24, 20, after the abomination. And what Jesus tells us at that point in time is after the abomination, there is going to be a time of tribulation that has not gone on since the beginning of creation or whatever will be again. And what that means when we're talking about the time of creation, it is the time of the angelic uh, rebellion and the destruction of the earth that I think happened in Genesis 1, 1 to 1, 2, but that's a different rabbit hole, not to be talked about today. But the verse lines up very, very well as do a couple other passages in the New Testament that would go to talking about this time of tribulation, time of affliction uh, that hasn't been since the time of the beginning, nor will be again. So this is the great tribulation that is being talked about in Matthew 24, 21. And we get a parallel verse in Mark 13, verse 19. And this time, whereas we talked about in, in part one, in Matthew 24, 9, the word affliction was used for tribulations for Philippians. Now in Mark 13, in the same account as in Matthew 24, 1, where you have destruction, unlike everything that's has been seen since the time of creation, that is not used as tribulation as it's used in Matthew, but in Mark it uses affliction. So you can see how the interchangeability of that word is being used for the same meaning, and that meaning is going to be very important when we link that up to the Old Testament and link in uh, some significant verses of events that are going to happen after rapture happens early on in the last three and a half years. And so this is the great tribulation uh, that Matthew 24, 21 is talking about. And this is the same thing that's being talked about as the hour of testing that we just covered off a few minutes ago. And that was in Revelation 3.10. And we also get the word great tribulation in Revelation 2.22. So everything is lining up. We just need to let things sort of fall in and around what Jesus is saying. It's going to give us the chronology and it's going to clarify the events for us. And this is in 
very shortly thereafter, you, after the abomination and in the beginning of the last three and a half years. And what's important to understand about that is that that lines up very, very well with the tribulation in Revelation 12 and verse 17, where you have Antichrist and Satan that are turning after chasing the women or the Judeans from Jerusalem after they see the abomination. They're fleeing to the wilderness and they're going to be protected for three and a half years. Well, now after that, Antichrist and Satan turn to all of those who follow Jesus and follow God and persecute them in this great tribulation of the last three and a half years after all the angels have been expelled down to the earth after the war in heaven. So you have all of the powers there of the angels, you have the demons, and you have all the beings, angels, demons, and otherwise that might have been put into the abyss who came out just before the midpoint in Revelation 9. Very, very important to see how all of this is coming together for a greater tribulation than the first three and a half years. And this is after, as, as uh, 2 Thessalonians talks about 1 through 7, this is after Antichrist is crowned in the temple. So we see how all of the descriptions and prophecies come together. And this is when the restrainer has been removed. And so whether or not the restrainer is Michael or it's the Holy Spirit, the restrainer is removed at that point in time. And all things are now working towards the resolution of the angelic rebellion and all of the things that started the whole domino effect coming down through prehistory. And this is also the time of trouble talked about in Daniel 12.1 when Michael rises, just as Michael rises in Revelation 12. Again, notice how well prophecy lines up if you just let it. This is the time Michael stands in Daniel 12.1. And there's a time of trouble not ever seen before. This is the trouble which is part of the definition of tribulation in um, the Matthew and Mark accounts. Affliction, tribulation, adversity, time of trouble. These are the same periods, only this is part of the great tribulation, not the first tribulation of the first three and a half years. And so the timing all matches up very, very well. And this is the time that Antichrist reigns and when he casts angels down to the earth. So there's that war in heaven as when Daniel 12 is talking about here. So just as that's recorded in Daniel Eight. So again, putting all the prophecies of Daniel together at the midpoint after the abomination as Daniel 9 and 11 talk about, this is the same time frame. This matches up very, very well with Jeremiah 30, uh, starting verses 6 and 7, but carrying on to, to describe more of what is going on in, in Jeremiah, but in terms of Exodus, which we're going to come to, but this is the time of Jacob's trouble. Again, it's the same Hebrew word for trouble and the same meaning as in the tribulation and affliction period Jesus is talking about in the uh, second three and a half years and greater than the affliction or trouble or tribulation of the first three and a half years. But this is also a time in Jeremiah where it says Jacob is saved. And this is the time after rapture of second Exodus. So Jesus will come first for rapture and then after He's going to come for Exodus. And this is after the time of the 144,000. 
and they're going to preach the gospel to the whole earth as well as the two witnesses as well as the uh, the one angel does to make sure that uh, everybody has been forewarned but these 144,000 come from the tribes of Israel except for Dan and that's uh, another rabbit hole uh, for another show as to why that that is the case but Dan's not in there but in Exodus 13 and Numbers 13 we understand that God had reserved the firstborn of all Israel which includes Judah as well for the southern kingdom and those are his sanctified ones and one wonders whether or not that 144,000 maybe the ones that are being referred to. We don't know, but what we do know is there's 12,000 from each of the tribes that are listed, and they're going to preach to the whole earth, including lost Israel, who are going to awaken in the first three and a half years, and will understand that they are the lost tribes of Israel, and they are going to be afflicted in the first three and a half years as they wake up, and as they stand against Babylon, and then they're going to be persecuted again by Antichrist. And we're going to come back to that because they're going to get some hope very early on in the first three and a half years that links up very well with what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 24. And Daniel 12, uh, 1 uh, and through to verse 2 talks about all the names that are in the book of life and it's talking about his people in this case as part of the chosen people uh, and again we're going to link that back into the bride in at, at the end of this but all the names are written in the book uh, all those who sleep in the dust there's going to be a resurrection that is going to happen after the resurrection of the first fruits and those who died in christ in after the rapture of people being transformed into heaven, there's going to be a resurrection uh, of the people in the dust. And this is referring to Ezekiel 37 and the dry bones. And they are raised from the dust and God gives them spirit to live. God is going to bring all Israel, visible Judah and all lost Israel back into the covenant alive and dead. And they're going to be judged, some to everlasting life and some to, to the second death. But they're going to be judged at that time, according to Ezekiel 37. And in Ezekiel 37, we're going to see that this is going to include David that's going to be raised as their king. And this is a very, very important uh, reference as we start to triangulate some of the old Testament prophecies with what Jesus had said. And this is the time of uh, Jeremiah 39 that we just talked about in terms of the time of Jacob's trouble. And also the gathering and collection of the people in Jeremiah 30. So you see now Ezekiel 37 and Jeremiah 30 and Daniel 12 all aligning to a second half after the abomination prophecy. And that all aligns not only with trouble and into the tribulation that what Jesus is talking about, but you will also see that Ezekiel 37, as you get into the mid verses, uh, starting in about verse 14, 
we'll start to talk about second exodus again. So you have second exodus that is being talked about in Jeremiah 30 and also in Ezekiel 37 at the time of the resurrections. And it's all coming together after the time of rapture. So that Jesus comes first for rapture, then he comes for second exodus, and then he comes for Armageddon and what Luke talks about the days of Jesus coming. And of course, this all matches up terrific for um, the verses in Micah. But just before I get into that, I just want to sort of double tap what I'm talking about in terms of trouble. That is the time of trouble that is talked about in Daniel and talked about in um, Jeremiah 30. And the same trouble or tribulation that Jesus is talking about in the second half now. That comes from the Hebrew word asara, which means affliction, tribulation, adversity. So all the same kind of words that are used for the time of the great tribulation Jesus is talking about or trouble or affliction that is used interchangeably in the New Testament. So it's just incredible how the Bible will line up if you just let it uh, line itself up. And so when we move into the time of Jacob's trouble, uh, and the exodus that is going to happen in the time of Jacob's trouble when Israel, lost Israel, who has awakened, has been persecuted, are now waiting for their uh, Messiah to come. They will be led in exodus after the sign of Jesus, and we're going to come back to that in, in a second. But in Micah 2, we understand that this second exodus is going to be led by the Lord going before them and David their king, just as David is talked about being resurrected in Ezekiel 37. We get further confirmation of that in Micah 2 at the time of the exodus and in the last three and a half years. And in Micah 5, uh, you have in verses 6 through 8, you have Israel being gathered from around the world from where they've been scattered and assisted by seven shepherds. So there's going to be seven shepherds that are going to be in that mix. And who knows, Elijah may be one of them or he may be part of the two witnesses. But what we do know is between the two, Elijah is going to be there because he was taken to heaven um, and, and is waiting to come back at the time of Jesus and make the way for Jesus. And whether or not that is for making the way for the rapture or making the way for the exodus, we don't know, or it could be both. But we do know Elijah is coming back in that end time. And we know that all of this was promised to Israel, that he would gather them from wherever they were dispersed around the world from the time of setting up the Holy Covenant, and that's recorded in Deuteronomy 30, uh, 1 through 5, where uh, the second exodus will come out of the application of the curses of the, of the, of the covenant for violating the covenant and being dispersed uh, into the lost countries and visible Judah after the time of Rome uh, and dispersed into the world from there. So those are going to be led back to Judah who has fled to the wilderness in Matthew 24, 15 to 20 and in uh, the Daniel prophecies also recorded in Mark and Luke. They're going to, Jesus is going to lead lost, awakened Israel, invisible Judah around the world to join up with Judah that has escaped from Jerusalem to the wilderness and are going to go under the judgment of that time, some to everlasting life and some to the second death.
And we see that transition of that second exodus, as I said, beginning in about um, Ezekiel 37, 14 to 15. And so all of those prophecies will tie in very, very neatly together if, if, if you just allow it to, to happen. And so as we move on in the chronology that Jesus is, is, is setting down in Matthew 24, we get the great tribulation happening in Matthew 24, 29, which also involves when the powers of the heavens are shaken. And this is very important to understand what they're talking about here so that we understand the timing as well. And in past episodes, we talked about the hierarchy of angels, and you'll remember the term powers coming from excusia and dunamis. Well, this is what is being talked about here. When Michael stands, when there's a war in heaven, Revelation 12, Daniel, Daniel 12, Daniel 8, uh, where the Antichrist brings down some of the stars from heaven, just as angels are star. These are the powers that are being talked about, dunamis in this application in uh, Matthew 24:29, And it'll include of the rebellious ones as well, um, angels, authorities, principles, and dominions who are part of Satan's realm, and some of the starry host will be part of the loyal angels of that hierarchy that are taken down to the earth and trampled upon by Antichrist, making it look like to the world that they have a chance to win. It's going to be very, very um, convincing. So again, we see the prophecies lining up, Old Testament, New Testament, all around with what Jesus said, and all we need to do is let it follow. And following that timeline is verse 30 in Matthew 24. So as all of this war in heaven is completed, after Babylon is destroyed, very early on in the last three and a half years when the powers of heaven are shaken, then Jesus' sign will appear for all to see. And it'll be an irrefutable sign. I would expect it's going to be seen by everyone all around the earth, and it's going to show his crucifixion wounds for all to see. It will be undeniable. And this is the time when Judea understands this is the one that they pierced. And lost Israel will recognize Jesus also as their Messiah and as their Redeemer. And so in, in, Zachariah, in Zach, Zechariah 12 and John 19, they're going to mourn the one that they pierced, the one who was pierced on the cross. And they're going to convert to believing in Jesus as the Word of God, as the Son of God, as their Messiah. And they're going to be brought back into the covenant. And this happens as Luke 4 talks about and Isaiah 61 talks about in the last three and a half years as you get uh, beyond the first year and into the year of the Lord's favor when the second exodus is going to come, when Jesus frees the captives around the world, lost Israel, visible Judah, who are rebelling against Antichrist, who are being persecuted in concentration camps, held in prison, Jesus is going to break those bonds of imprisonment and slavery, and he's going to have seven shepherds that are leading Judah and awakened lost Israel back 
to the covenant land to meet up with the Judeans who had fled previously from the site of the abomination into the wilderness and bring them under the judgment, as we talked about just a few minutes ago. And just as Isaiah 11 talks about, this is the root of Jesse who does this. And it will be an ensign for all of the people and for Exodus. So all the people, both Judah will mourn the one they pierced, the one they pierced, and Israel will recognize as well that this is their redeemer. All will understand and all will be brought in together so that it is being brought in time for the supper that's going to happen just before Armageddon. And so the bride is brought together before Armageddon, which happens in Revelation 19. And you have the chosen, which are going to be collected from around the earth from the angels. So you have the rapture that's going on and you have second exodus that is going on. And we know in Revelation 12, they're going to be carried on the wings of eagles, the Judeans fleeing for protection for three and a half years, which is the same term that's used in the exodus for uh, Israel fleeing. So again, all the allegory and the imagery lines up for second exodus, but this exodus will be greater than the first exodus. And we also know that in Matthew 24, 31, that the chosen uh, or the elect also, as you take that back to Strong's in Greek, means those who believe in Jesus. So not just the chosen people for Exodus, but the chosen people who believe in Jesus and then matched up perfectly because this is the time where Judea and the northern kingdom Israel will recognize Jesus as their Messiah and Redeemer. So all comes together perfectly in the bride, which will be brought together for the Supper of the Lamb and uh, followed by Armageddon. And so if we just let all of prophecy fall under the chronology of what Jesus provides in Matthew 24 and add in the details of Mark 13 and Luke 17 and 21, everything sort of just sort of ties together very, very neatly. And for those who are of the pre-trib understanding, let's pray for that. But for me, scripture very clearly, and I think as I've laid out in part one and then in part two, the chronology Jesus lays out for us is very clearly in the second half, but we're still going to be spared the wrath bowls. Okay, so the rapture is going to happen before the wrath bowls. Uh, Israel and Judah are still going to be around uh, for the wrath bowls, but will be led in exodus and protected by Jesus. They will re re certainly receive tribulation as they are marching towards the covenant land from Antichrist and Satan, but they will have protection from, from their Messiah who will walk before them after rapture. And so I'm hoping I've brought in a little bit of illumination to the chronology of the end time and how why it's so important to put everything around Jesus. And if you want, the documents to this, I have part one available and also part two. Just get a hold of me through my website or on Facebook. Website is www.genesis6conspiracy.com. That's the number 6conspiracy.com. Ask for either part one or part two or both, and I will send them to you or get a hold of me through Messenger under Gary Wayne or onto my timeline. I'll send it to you. 
All you have to do is ask uh, just by topic so I know uh, which uh, document that you're looking for. So until next time, this is Gary Wayne saying uh, so long until uh, we continue an in-depth discussions on the Bible and putting all the dots together so that we get a clear picture as to what to expect for the end time. Thank you and see you again next time.